Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Thanks for downloading. I'm Raphael Martinez, a minister within the Church of God Cleveland Movement, and this is our ministry podcast called Where Are We Going? We're dedicated to bringing a biblical perspective upon some very unbiblical things going on in our world today. Please let some friends know about our podcast and share a link to our site here if you don't mind. Uh, we're also on Amazon, Google, and Spotify channels as well, and you can find us uh, using the search term Spirit Watch Ministries. And we're grateful you stopped by today. We believe you'll find thought-provoking conversation and observation about our fallen times that you won't find anywhere else. Dr. Martin Luther King once said that it is appalling that the most segregated hour of Christian America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. This was his timeless protest against the state of the racially divided Christian church during the years of the civil rights struggles in the 1950s and 60s. Now, I think Dr. King wouldn't mind if we used his core thought here to restate an equally appalling reality. It is also appalling that the loneliest time for too many church members in Christian America is every time the doors are open. As a minister since 1983, I've seen a lot of church come and go in my life, and sadly, I do have to agree with this sad assessment. Now, while there are certainly vibrant, meaningful, and fulfilling expressions of Christian faith all around our world, there are lamentably too many others that look the part and are anything but. Such places call millions of congregants aside daily to a discipline, a task, a devotion to its agenda that's supposedly inspired by love, community, and faith, but which actually champion an anti-Christian approximation of, quote, church, unquote. And of these innumerable tribes of spirituality, the chilling and cosmic isolation felt by the constituents is truly a a painful reality, a tragic one that too many of them face daily. Such places can be viewed as churches and honored as faith communities, but are really qualitatively genuine cults that bind its members into conformity and not true unity. And of the so, so many of those out there, we're speaking today of one such place that calls itself the Dwell Community Church, or its previous name, the Zenos Christian Fellowship of Columbus, Ohio. Once more, it's a pleasure for me to be able to sit down with someone who has uh, made the decision to conscientiously uh, depart from a, uh, a point of their lives, a, a, a time in their lives in which they felt that uh, they need a reality that they were no longer living in, uh, a, a, a reality that's based upon their conscience, upon what they felt it was, was right and wrong. The person we're speaking with uh, this uh, today is, is, is a young man by the name of Colin. And Colin, thank you for coming to the podcast. Uh, you're a former member of the Xenos uh, movement, and uh, I'm so grateful that you could be with us 
on such an early morning. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's been a while. We've been trying to get together, and I'm glad we finally touched base. Yeah, thank you for that, Raphael. I appreciate it. All right. I'm glad you hung with me. We've had a lot of different things going on in our lives, job changes and family changes and all kinds of great uh, things that life just throws at you, which has kept us uh, uh, busy and things. But uh, I'm glad uh, you hung with me. Thank you so much once again. So, um, so you come, uh, we, when we started talking, we just started sharing on um, the fact that, you know, you had been a lifelong member of Xenos and, and, um, one of the first place I, I encountered this term, uh, was on, um, Mark, uh, Kennedy's website, uh, xenosisacult.com. I'd never heard the term before, but it made sense. Uh, you are one of the demographic of Xenos, uh, that there are, are in popular parlance are called Xenos babies. <laughs> you're one of the, uh, uh, you're a generational person. You were raised in the church and you knew nothing else of it. So, um, so tell me, what's a Xenos baby? Sound like a handy way to describe a certain generation of Xenos' uh, demographic, as I said, but, uh, uh, what are Xenos babies like? What do you, what, what's your generation like? Well, I mean, it's, as soon as you're able to, start going to stuff you are i mean you grow up going through the the whole system of i guess what xenos has to offer that means you're going through the nursery when you're babies through then through oasis is which which is what they called like toddler through i think fourth grade mm-hmm. or third grade you would go to just like this these like rooms to hang out with all your other Xenos baby friends or whoever, whatever parents were going to the central teachings or CTs um, at the same time frame as you and you'd hang out with them during that. And so you would okay. await. And then after that, you would go to um, TNT. I don't know why they called it TNT, but for like fourth and fifth grade, you went to a different building than your parents, but still on the same, um, Xenos's main campus and you would hang out with your friends there and then you would go to blowout, which was when you were in middle school. So sixth, eighth grade, you would go then to another building that was all on the same campus and hang out with, hang out with your friends there. And, um, obviously throughout all of these, different building jumps and everything, you're always hearing some form of a teaching or um, some form of lesson about Christ and his life on earth or whatever, I guess, teaching that they wanted to give you. That's what you kind of did. After that, once you were done with blowout, then that was when things kind of got a lot more serious when you were in the high school group. Transitioning into that, that was like the that's the that's the bigger step. Yeah, yeah. Going through that, and so right. that's when you get to pick a group, and you're in that group for the hopefully for the your four years of high school, and then you would transition from there into a college group that's connected to the people that you were in the high school group with, based on the people that were leading in your group. Um, oh, and also, if you were as you know, maybe you went to Calumet. That was like you had to go to Calumet. It wasn't really like a a choice. That's where your parents wanted you to go because 
all your friends were already going to be going there and you wouldn't have to really try to make friends because you're already all going to the same school. And it was Xenos owned mm-hmm. and run. And so you'd have, so it's basically you're just, you're constantly around their teachings and their lifestyle and yeah. how they wanted to do things. That's, you were fully surrounded in it. Right. Um, more right. often than not, Xenos baby was fully in the system like I was not branched out because I had a couple friends that like didn't go to the same school when they were in middle school because I mean Calumet offered it all I went there for the entirety of my life from preschool all the way up through middle school because they had that ability to do it and so then you didn't really go to a normal school Mm -hmm. and I stay at normal school because I only knew how you met as like a private Christian school. I never went to anything that didn't have people that weren't all in Xenos until I went to high school. Okay. All right. So, so, so you were raised knowing no other way or worldview, of course. I mean, that certainly makes sense. I mean, that, that wouldn't, you, you wouldn't expect anything else. So everything about reality was prescribed by the church's influence or how they wanted you to, to actually see it. And that's understandable. Right. I mean, you know, you know, churches and, and different, educational institutions based around faith communities and other places. That's the way it's going to be. You know, that's a, that's a common human thing. So, um, so what were some of the sources of authority beyond your, your parents? I mean, I think you shared with me that they, they were lifelong members, of course, and they, and they of course felt very strongly that supporting this mission that uh, Xenos has set up uh, as a, as a Christian church, was was uh, as important as supporting their outreach by education because apparently schooling uh, became a huge part of uh, Zenos's uh, future. Uh, on the fateful day that uh, they decided to go ahead and actually incorporate, become a church, and then found it necessary to start creating an entire church organization uh, to make sure that they consolidated their gains. You know, I, mean, I mean, it's one thing to, you know, have a nice Bible study where everybody's told you're the most perfect church on the planet. We need to be all about doing the business of God. And then you have to be able to support that cultural other text for that. And that's what happens. And so, so again, going back to the question, uh, as you were raised in it through the, all the various institutions and places, the source of authority beyond, you know, of course, pointing to the Bible and pointing to what your parents said about it, you know, we're, 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 we're where? I mean, who were the people that became the instructors, uh, and, and, and the ones who became your, your, uh, those who molded you, uh, through all of that you just mentioned, through all the institutions? Yeah. So it was your, your teachers. I mean, you had a teacher in every single room that you were in. You had an adult of some form up until you were in high school. I mean, there was, it was always an, someone from the adult group, so to say, is because that's, I guess, what those, those were the people that wanted to kind of fill the places that you went to all of these things for the only time that really it got changed up was then on Sunday nights, which is when I went to <clears throat> like, I guess, blowout or TNT or Oasis, what I was mentioning before. Cause that's when my parents went, um, when you were in blowout, that was the first time you had exposure to 
someone who wasn't in the adult group, but more a younger influence, closer to, I wouldn't say closer to my age, because I mean, I was 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. uh, someone that was closer in like to their mid 20s, early 30s, who was the influence, I guess, to all of these hundreds of kids. Because I mean, it wasn't like it was just like, 10, 15, 20 of us when we were at these meetings, it was like, there were like a couple hundred of us all at these things. Like Sunday night blowout was like the place to be kind of thing. Everybody went to that one. Mm-hmm. Right. But, right. It was the center, to, center of your cultural life, your social life. And, and of course, right. in all that, that's where the influence came, right? Correct. That mm-hmm. is absolutely correct. But if we're going to be honest, I didn't really listen to most of the people during any of those times, I kind of just did my own thing. I feel like I wasn't really influenced a lot by the people that I kind of grew up seeing just because I was constantly jumping from person to person to person to person, you know, because as you grew up or changed grades or whatever, you had a different person influencing you. Ah, okay. Right. I didn't feel like I had, I guess, like in my you didn't really have a role model that you could kind of look up to for a longer period of time right. until in the high school group. Okay. That's, that's really when the rubber hit the road because mm. you, were, you were in there for the long haul kind of thing. And you were around the same people multiple times a week. That's when things, that's really when they turn up the heat where I, I mean, I'm assuming you've heard plenty about the college group and how they would have, three, four, five meetings a week. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, yeah. the high school group was the exact same way. Mm-hmm. It was toned down a little bit, but not really. Like, I mean, in the yeah. high school group, you, when you're going to a, a central teaching meeting, you're having home church, and, and then you're having cell group on, like, the off weeks, and then you'd have hangouts outside of it. Like, that would be organized by just the members and not the leaders. You'd have prayer groups beforehand. I mean, you're running around and picking people up and driving all over the world, like all over Columbus, really. I mean, I drove to places I would have never driven before if I didn't. Yeah. If I wasn't in the high school group and had a car. Because if you had a car and you were in the high school group, you were expected to go and pick up all these other kids to get them to come to these meetings and stuff like that. So there was the... The the college group aged people that were leaders in our high school group were the ones that were the bigger influence. Right. Um, so basically, they were they were kind of like just picking up the reins uh, yeah. of all the tracers that uh, had been basically embedded in your mouth and your mind and your heart. They were the ones picking up the the, the influence that had been contributed to here by innumerable. Uh, adult and, 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 uh, teacher figures throughout your entire life. So that's basically how it worked, right? I mean, is that, is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, and again, you know, that's, that's, that's not uncommon. You know, every, everybody, every, every faith community, every, every place that, that has educational institutions, you know, that's, that's, that's part of the life. People choose sure. to be in that. People, and I, and I know your parents, Truly, uh, were people that, that really felt that they wanted to be uh, a part of something that they felt was important. They wanted you, they wanted to try to give you the best 
it was because I, I know a private Christian school education isn't cheap. You know, it doesn't come free. I mean, you, there is a certain amount of, uh, of of expenses that they would have had to incur. And uh, you know, having me trained, and you know, my, my my degree is in is in Christian education, church education, and I, I know that you know Christian Christian schools aren't in it for the money; uh, they're in it for something a lot more uh, long lasting, and that's for the shaping of, of people's lives. So, uh, so right. what, what was the good and the bad and the ugly about living in that kind of thing? I mean, you mentioned that you you're very busy; you're constantly on the go. Uh, you had you made. I bet I would assume all your friends within there and, and you, and you develop friendships and people you knew. Uh, mm-hmm. so, and you know, again, that's getting back to what we're saying that that's going to be part of that kind of lifestyle. But, but, um, what were some of the things that you saw maybe as, as you grew up that maybe years later started to click with you? You started to connect some dots here and say, I don't know what was that about? Or, I mean, obviously it was, it wasn't all evil. I mean, there's some great times I know people had there and, uh, yeah. but, uh, what, what are some of your, your thoughts on that? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, well, so when I started to really notice <clears throat> things that I kind of was, I mean, even when I was in high school and stuff, I kind of realized that there were some things that I wasn't really completely sold on. So, I mean, when you, I mean, you grow up around all these kids and people that you just, are friends with for like your entire life and so then when you join these high school groups you don't all pick the same high school group so like I could have picked this one group but then my best friends picked these other two high school groups and so then now all of a sudden I don't see them anymore because we're not in the same school and now we're we didn't pick this same group because when you're trying to when you're transitioning because they call it the high school transitions or freshman transitions is what they call it mm-hmm. when you're transitioning you check out a handful of groups to kind of see which one you want to go to um and they have like a list or whatever of like ones that are near you it's like a whole thing so that they're like there's convenience but also there's there's direction of like they want you to join these specific groups right. um so, you know, my friend who lives, my friends who lived in like Westerville and Worthington were given these couple other groups options where I was given completely different ones because I lived more in the Clintonville, Central Columbus area, more than like West, Westerville, Worthington. So I didn't really get to see the same options. I You can choose to go to those, but regardless, um, my friends chose different groups than I did and I would try to hang out with them and spend time with friends that I wasn't in group with. And more often than not, I was approached in high school, in the college group frequently about how I was spending too much time with my friends and not enough investing in the people and the, what they call outreach in the high school group. And so I was constantly kind of berated and, told like hey you gotta you guys put this same focus that you have for the friendships that you've had for 15 years into these people that you've just met and it's Mm. like that's not I don't understand that's ridiculous I care about these people a lot more than I care about these brand new people that I just met not in a mean way you know it's not like a oh, screw these people, I don't want to talk to them. It's like, a, I have these friendships that I've had for a really long time, and they've helped me 
you know, go through life. You know, we've grown up together. There's this, there's a different connection between these people that I've known for years than this new person that I just met two hours ago, you know, mm-hmm. they yeah. Yeah. are acceptable to spend more time away from yeah. the group we're committed to. And so then it would usually just start with like the, your peers in your group approaching you and being like, Hey, I don't like how you're hanging out with these people this much. And I, you should hang out and focus with these people and spend time yeah. with them. The leaders would get more involved because you'd come to find out that the leaders were like, this is concerning how much this dude isn't spending time with like all these other people. And so then put the trail down the members and they berate you. And so there was a very chunk, large chunk of time where I had one close friend. Um, when this kind of stuff started to really happen, um, and because it was the same thing was happening to him. And so him and I would hang out all the time. Um, we were in the same home church. And so we would hang out all the time and just kind of talk about, felt super manipulated. And that was kind of the first time that I felt really frustrated, and upset wow. about Dinos was trying to, what these leaders and people were trying to make me do. I was upset by it and it was super frustrating. But then I, you know, after after countless sit downs of this is why you need to do this, this is why you need to invest in these people, this is why you need to focus your time on the people that are around you right now and not your friends that you've had for years and those relationships. I would say I said okay, and I wouldn't see my friends nearly as much as I used to, and I focused on the people in my home church. And now all of a sudden, instead of having negative feedback and um, negative connotations to my own person and my spirituality, I have now become an extremely super spiritual person Mm. and a role model. And I'm now like a good example for people in our home church for how relationships should look and how a relationship with God should look. Mm. And that's that other thing. So as soon as I started selling into the shit they were selling, (laughs) They, I was super spiritual and I was on the yeah. to success. And so you, that you, carried over into the college group as well. Yeah. So you, so Colin, you came into compliance. Uh, oh, and, and, and then, and then basically it was a culling, a culling out of people that seemed to be a cultural thing in Xenos where, where, where as a, as a, as a person, you're, you're describing, and I think you've given the best description of this. I've, I've heard of this, but you've given the best description I think I've heard yet, uh, in a very concise way. It shows just how much control Xenos is really about. And they begin very early, of course, you know, when you have a bunch of of middle school kids and, you know, and, 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 you know, primary school kids, they're going to go along, they're going to do whatever you tell them, you know, but when you start getting to the point where you start getting a mind for yourself and thinking for yourself, making mm-hmm. your own choices, Xenos makes it very clear that no, no, there's, there's, there's your choices and then there's, then there's the right choice, right? Right. And, 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 so, and that's what they basically did. And they, and you, and that was a, a that would you, it just seems to me that like that was a, 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 a complete introduction to the to the conditioning they wanted you to have so that later on in life 
when they started doing all the experimenting they did in high in in uh, college groups and, and and house churches, that when they split people up and divided them and sent them like packages from one one end of the, of of a. Uh, uh, Columbus to another, that was perfectly fine. It, it was meant to be completely and totally uh, obeyed, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you were expected to just be okay with everything that kind of happened after a certain point. Like it just, this is what this is the, the best way to put it was. This is God's work. That was what they would say, you know, for mm-hmm. kind of shit like that. This is God's work. So, so God was all about dividing people and tearing them up and, 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 and ignoring their loyalties, you know. I mean, all, all these years, they, I'm sure while you were in Calumet or any other groups developing these friendships, these lifelong, uh, companions and, and relationships you had. I mean, I'm sure during all of that, there was some sort of, uh, posturing where they're telling, oh, you need to, be really close friends with these people. These are your friends. These are your brothers. These are your sisters. You should get to know one another. You should get to, you should be, you know, encouraging one another. In other words, they, they encourage you to, to develop bonds that they felt free to tear apart later. Right? Right. Because, well, this is their thing is that they want you to have a bunch of friends that you can grow together with because they would constantly <clears throat> be the, the psalm of iron sharpened iron, like a friend sharpens a friend. Yeah. Oh, and so that's, you're sold on that. That was a big thing that they sold me on was like, these friendships are important because you can grow alongside these people, which is why, how they kind of turned that towards why you need to focus on the people that you're in front of right now, not the people that you've grown up with. It was, and, uh, and it was that cold. It was that completely uh, mandated, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, because I didn't mention this initially, but when I was in the high school group, they immediately kind of got us sold on tearing, being torn away from your friends. Because I joined my high school group, like as a freshman in high school, with a handful of my friends that I grew up with and was in that middle school group with and all that. And we were all excited to be together. And then my sophomore year, they split that group and it was me by myself. And then all of my friends went to this other group. So they really, truly did isolate me right. to that degree. In my mom, I remember because I told my mom and complained about it from my friends that I joined my high school group with. I was kept in the high school group that I joined, and they split off and created a new one. Um, and I've been told since I started going to stuff that, like, I was a leader and this, that, and the other thing. I, I've always been viewed as someone that was – I could get people to do things. I was convincing. I was um, bold with my speech. You know, I didn't. I didn't shoot the shit. I shot people straight, and they really liked that because mm-hmm. a lot of people would listen to me. I was influential, especially being as a baby for like the newer people that would be brought around. So they kept me to myself because they saw a lot of potential in me. And so they had me study under um, Josh Benedum, who is now an elder in the church. But mm-hmm. at that time, he was not um, of that caliber. But um, mm-hmm. I was alone with just, you know, pretty much making it only him, my friend, in that high school group after I was split off from my friends my sophomore year. So I was only in a group with my friends that I joined with 
for a year, but those, those guys weren't even my closest friends at the time. My no. closer friends, the ones I wanted to join with that were in Worthington and Westerville schools. But, um, anyway, uh, yeah. So I, the point of all of that was that, um, from an earlier age, I experienced the numbing split that they call it. Like, you know, you'd have this removal from your friends because now all of a sudden I'm not in this group with these friends that I've had for years. I now have to focus on these new members in this, that, and the other. And so at a very, at an early age in my high school time there in NAS, I was conditioned to, to be okay, willing of what was going on. Yeah. Was and, this common? I mean, was, I mean, this is a thing, of course, in Xenos, where they just feel so free to, to devastate young lives by, by when they, when they figure out they can't fit you in their spreadsheet or in their future planning some way. Uh, some, 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 at some level of administration, just feel, okay, we'll just go ahead and send this package of young kids over here and some, and this package of kids over here. Now, this is a thing in Xenos, but but was this common? I mean, it sounds to me like this is something this is something that goes on all the time. That's going on even now, right? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. That's it's their bread and butter. It's their pride and joy. It's like the best thing ever for them to be able to split a home church. For them to be able to do that to create a new home church, um, it was a celebration, which. To a degree, I could understand because they viewed it as, you know, we're growing. We don't have enough space anymore. We have 50 people coming to this thing, and we can't house that many people, so we need to split it up. Like that, realistically, that makes sense, and that's how they would explain it to us. But then it was like, we don't believe more. We don't believe that people can grow as well in this bigger group because people fall through the cracks or people aren't focused on as much. Um, basically, there's too many people in this group for us to be able to control properly, so we need to thin the herd by creating a new group. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I started to view it, because I was one of those people that would fall through the cracks where I could kind of get away with doing what I wanted to do. And then uh, as soon as focus was a little bit more reoriented, I had to dust off my shoes and get back to the grind or else I was going to get in trouble basically and reprimanded by wow. this man that I really looked up to. Um, so it also it made it hard for a long time to feel like I had a choice in anything because I knew everything before because he was always the senior leader of every home church that I was ever in. Um, he, I mean, he ran, so he called the shots and I got to be in on that and I think that that was because I was being conditioned to become a leader eventually. Right. That was that was their end goal for me was to become a home church leader, someone that everybody else could kind of be could look up to. And so I mean he was constantly, you know, influencing me to like, oh you should talk to this person about this thing or oh you should have a sit down with this person about X, Y, and Z, you know, it was constantly confrontation, confrontation. You should. It was mandated, in other words. Right. It was, I needed to do these things, and if I didn't do it, why? And then I would be reprimanded, and then if I also, even if, if I messed up something, then I would be reprimanded by him or by people told by him to 
reprimand me and then grow from that. And so it was just a, it's a cycle of confrontation and manipulation. And it was awful, awful. I felt, I always had knots in my stomach and just, I always felt sick, but eventually I grew numb to it where it just became my own way of thinking. I would start jump into it like oh like i would bring things up to him of like oh i need to confront these people because of this 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 and this like oh have you noticed how this person is acting we should talk to them about it i should bring these things up and looking back on it now i can see how the conditioning was working to where i'm slowly turning into this leader that they want me to be because i'm getting more and more sold on what they want a leader to be able to have the influence to do, which is control the members. They, mm. I, I have fully sold into being able to control and manipulate people in a proper way to where it sounds spiritual. <laughs> so that's the big thing is that you have to be spiritual. You have to be. Yeah. In yeah you gotta use a Bible verse somewhere in it, right? Absolutely. If you didn't use a Bible verse in it, it wasn't validated. Wow. So yeah. You had to be able to be like, I've been thinking in my word this week, you know, as I've been reading through this or how I've been spending my time with the Lord, you know, and I was really praying about these things, this, that, and the other thing. I can't tell you how many times, Raphael, that I bullshitted saying that I prayed for this person and this was heavy, a heavy burden on my heart or this, that, and the other thing. It was just this, Josh Bennett told me to say something, and then I would, in quotations, you can't see but I'm doing the finger quotes, I would think about it and then confront this person. I would basically just reiterate all the stuff in the complaints that he would have that I needed to address to yeah. these people because I was influential and people would listen to me and respect me and I needed the exposure. So I needed to be the one that did it. And so that's what was happening often. And because of, these responsibilities that I was getting, I watched like a hawk. So then I felt pressure to make sure that I was performing properly so that I could effectively control these people and make sure that they're doing what the hierarchy wants. Right. So as you said, you were being groomed when you finally got the influence of the one person that you mentioned. I mean, you've been going through all these teachers and all these people who have you have, have fun times and as you grew up. And when you finally get to, the, to, to big church, as they might say, when you finally got there, you, you finally came under the influence of people who began really grooming you. They began right. turning you into, into, into uh, basically a clone of their leadership style. And it was a leadership style based upon not – edifying, not being a blessing, not being just lovingly caring about people where they were, whoever they were, you, you were being mandated, uh, you were being, you were being forced into and, and, com and complied to a role, uh, I mean, conform, excuse me, conform to a role where you would be basically, you know, becoming the voice of God for other people under you. I mean, and it was, it was a, it was a point at which you would sound so spiritual and, and, and really it was, it was just something that you feel it was, it was an act. You could tell somebody, oh, I'm, I'm praying for you. I'll be praying about that. Let's pray about that. And you really already knew what the, what the question was going to be, right? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. 
I seem to remember. I seem to remember a verse in the Bible, if I can use that right now, that says that love be without hypocrisy, hate what is evil, cling to what's good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Um, that's the book of Romans, chapter twelve. Yeah, it certainly doesn't sound to me that that was really what uh, your men, your men, your mentors really had in mind for you, was it? No, absolutely. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. And yours is not uncommon. I mean, I mean, like I said, everyone that we've spoken with, uh, at some level felt that pressure to become leaders. And, and then you were, and then, and then your situation, you were taken aside by one. You were, you were starting to be molded into it. And then you started seeing what was going on. And how did that, how did that make you feel? I mean, how, how did you, how did you reconcile this level of manipulation and control and, and with, and the insincerity underlying it, uh, being totally pragmatic. I mean, how did, it was, it was all about the glory of Xenos. It's already, make, it's all, it was all about making sure that you got stronger, you got better, you got more control, you got more people to comply with you. Uh, yeah. you, you said at this point, you know, you were becoming used to it. It was, it was yeah. becoming a part of you. Yeah, it started to feel good, Raphael. That's, that's really. Yeah, it's how deep into it and how sold into this whole lifestyle that I was. It was it felt good because I was getting praise. I was being looked at as an influence, as a leader, as <coughs> one that was a positive force for the for the the Lord is how they would say it. And so mm -hmm. I was I was looked at as a good follower of God. And so because of that, it felt good. You get a lot of praise when you did the things that they wanted you to do. Right. And you successfully executing their orders, you were praised. You got a medal. You got a badge. You got the, you got the, gold you got the, the good jobs. Yeah. You know, it was – and it felt good. It felt really good. And so you would constantly do that. You would – because you have – now been groomed to the point where you need the approval of this person mm. yeah, to um, feel good about yourself. And so then you're constantly trying to get this approval from these people that you look up to because they're just so good at what they do. They're so good at communicating, at reprimanding, at teaching, at praying, at spending time in their word, whatever, what have you, anything that would be considered spiritual, that was what you strived for. And if there was people that were really good at it, you aimed to be like them. And so then in turn, you wanted their praise, their approval, their admiration, you know, you wanted their pat on the back specifically. And so for me, that was Josh Benedum and everything that he stood for and so I did anything and everything to please that man because I wanted his approval and his 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 seal to basically say that I'm a spiritual person and should be respected and looked at as such. Because, I mean, if I was going to ever move up in the the ladder of leadership and all that, everything that involves all of that, it's going to be through him because of the influence that he has. Because I'm not sure if you know this, but he studied under – Brett McCallum, who, you know, studied under Dennis, so he had very close ties to the elders and the founders of our church, you know, and so it was, his teachings were 
the closest thing that you could get to coming from the the main source, the head the head honcho of our church. And so his his words, if Josh Benham said something at like openly to a bunch of people, that was gospel. It was you had to listen to it because of how influential this dude was. Because right. so, he was he was dipping right for the mouth of a waterfall, and that was certainly yeah. probably. I guess I guess when you were in that position, from what I've heard, that that brought you an awful lot of prestige to yourself personally. People recognize, oh, you were hearing from from the Apostle Paul. Wow, right? This is yeah. great, you know. <laughs> yeah. So your life basically followed then, Colin, that same well-known pattern so many here who are also Zenos babies and also groomed for leadership have, have discussed. Uh, so all these people who are on here, despite what leadership in Zenos presently says about them, they're not pulling legs. They're not bullying anybody. They're telling the truth, aren't they? That's what you had to believe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, were telling, they were telling the truth that you wanted to hear. Right. And, well, what I'm referring to is the fact that um, so many here have, 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 have really seen the, exactly what you've said, and they've testified how they how it, how it came across to them and how they had to live it out. Uh, and yeah, yeah, right. You you mentioned yeah that that they 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 only they only lived up to what they were told to live up to. Right. You know? I mean, I mean, one thing was an old an old an old. Uh, saw that says, you know, as a, as a, as a pulpit goes, so goes the pew. And that's exactly what's going on here. I mean, you were, you were being led, you and everyone else here were being led into this. These milestones in maturing that Xenos mandated were necessary to what they felt they should be achieving as true, you know, last days evangelism. This is how you made Christians and, and, and this is how you created better people. And just, and just to make them commodities, make them blips on a, on a, on a screen, on a flow chart somewhere. That's what it became down to. Mm-hmm. And uh, it becoming a barely a, a machine. No matter how, no matter how uh, orthodox or biblical they could sound, this basically what it comes down to. People were, were treated were treated like 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 I said, like objects. So oh, yeah. So what became? Excuse me. What became the serpent in your garden? I mean, what was it about this perfect, predictable world that finally made you start to question and rethink why you were there? And and and, and I, I, obviously, you've already indicated was there's certain aspects to it that were quite um, quite uh, unpalatable to you. And uh, so, what was it that finally uh, started getting you thinking about all that, rethinking it? Actually, it was because I was dating this girl actually and we had I guess in Xenos terms we had a bad breakup okay I, I say in Xenos terms because we towed the line of quote unquote sin um I guess it is quote unquote we towed the line of like sexual sin and so okay you're human Right, and we had a a small slip up. It wasn't even like it was like it wasn't even anywhere close to like actual sex or anything like that. It was super minor, but we were both very sold on this whole Xenos train, and so then we had this 
this instance come up and we both immediately were like, oh, we got to tell everybody. And so yeah. then we told everybody. And um, basically we were, we were both, she was encouraged to break up with me. And we had been dating for over a year at this point. Um, and we're both in the college group. I was just fresh into the college group. Like I had just graduated high school, but, um, anyway, we, and we dated for another six months and then she broke up with me, but she had been leading me on this entire time. I've been basically planning on breaking up with me ever since that instance, but then let it happen for an additional six months, which I did not understand, but yeah. Regardless, that none of this is on her, and I don't want to put any blame onto this girl because it was very much so the influence of the people around her and the leaders that she was speaking to. Because funny enough, she was studying, um, she was being discipled. I'm assuming you've heard that term before, like discipled. That's kind of what they use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so she was being discipled by Josh Benham's wife. Oh, okay. So wow. We, we were in close proximity to all of that. And so there was a lot of influence from him onto his wife, onto her disciples. And so he's, he wanted us to break up and I didn't want to break up because I was at the time, I mean, I was in love, Raphael. I was yeah. head over heels for this girl. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I understand. Sure. It was funny. So I, <laughs> sure. Everyone, everyone has that. It's a, it's a, <laughs> I mean, most people do anyway. You know, everyone, you, you fall just head over heels or someone, and you just absolutely, you can't live without them. You can't think of anything else but them. I, I understand that, yeah. Yeah, and so I I wanted anything but breaking up, but Graf mm-hmm. Bennett saw different, and so he saw to it that it did eventually, eventually happen. And so then with that happening, um. I chose to break really poorly where I was very upset and distraught. And she also didn't really give me an explanation because you got to remember months had gone by between when we had this sexual sin that we had opened up to everybody about and when we had broken up. So in my mind, I'm like, Oh, we're past this. This isn't the reason. And so I wasn't given an actual reason. And basically it divided our home church to where I had a few people that, supported me and understood my feelings and then the other 80 percent of our home church was on her side to where i was being unrealistic wanting answers and being upset and for invalidating <laughs> so so the life of a home church can get so dramatic to the point where where you you you, you believe you, you believe you're this new testament Outposts of Christian faith, and yet the drama of a breakup or the or the the, the, the details of, of personal sin can become the energizing factor of the fellowship. It becomes what drives people uh, to interact with each other. It's, it's no longer around scripture or around, around seeking God. It's around making sure we put people in their place. Does that sound right? Oh, absolutely. And Man. so. It was, I mean, it was awful. I was so torn up because I was barely in this new home church and we split actually not too long after um, all of this happened because the girl and I broke up and we split. And well, you know, Raphael, since she was studying under 
Josh Benham's wife, she wasn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So I'm stuck in this group with this girl that wants nothing to do with me, makes everything awkward, and just the, has divided the group basically because of how they view me and how I view them. But when we split, it was like a new, a fresh start. So not as much drama was involved in this, that, and the other thing, but things were still very awkward between her and I. And so then I started, I started lying to kind of build up, rebuild my, I guess my appearance because it was painted so for this yeah. previous altercation. And so then I started making up loads. I couldn't even tell you all the stuff that I lied about, but I, I basically, I was trying to resell myself because I've lost so much credibility. Right. And you rebuild I, your testimony. <laughs> exactly. So I yeah. tweak it and all this other, all this other random shit that makes me sound so much better and so much. And basically I'm trying to remake myself influential right. and I couldn't I do that currently had. And so make yeah. it and sell them on it. Yeah. The luster was off of you now and they had been observed in a home church setting and uh, you were a tainted leader. Yeah, and and suddenly you realize how how much face matters in Xenos, mm-hmm. and, and and you had to try to recapture that glory. Yep, and so I, in my mind, I thought that I was as I was doing that. Um, yeah, and I felt like at a certain point I was on top of the world. I was totally okay sitting on all these lies, and just kind of building up from there. I started getting the respect again that I had before I started being looked at as an influential person again, spiritual, this, that, and the other thing. Um, and then we split home churches again. Mm. <laughs> so at this point I've split twice. That means I've moved houses because I moved into the ministry house as soon as I graduated high school. So I have now moved three times. Gosh. Um, and I'm <laughs> old. And each, uh, t- and each time, and this, the, in, 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 in each instance, these are the, the real relationships that mattered. No, no, no one else, no, nothing else really, really was to be central. You're meant right. to just totally throw yourself into, uh, making sure that this little tight circle of people, uh, were, were, were your world. Absolutely. And I mean, I still try to have these friendships with my friends that I have been talking about this entire time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we were never in. Group. I've never been in the same group as those friends that I grew up with that I viewed as my closest and best friends. I would still pursue the friendships with them and constantly over and over again I was being told you need to spend the same amount of time that you're trying to put into them. Yeah. My loyalty was being forced to be pushed onto people that I didn't really care about yeah. or want to invest my time in. But yeah. I did it because yeah. I to save face, I needed to look a certain way because my my reputation was tarnished. And but come to find out in this new home church that I had joined, so this is home church number three. Um, since I had joined the college group, um, I was sitting and talking with some of my new roommates, and one of my friends that I had grown close to told me that. 
um, after I laid out this huge spiel about like, you know, how I, like I opened up and was real with everybody about my feelings again, like these dudes in my home church, I like didn't tell any lies. I told everybody the truth basically and like laid everything out and like how I felt about things and how I felt like I was being treated poorly in this group and how that hurt me and this, that, and the other thing. And so basically I laid out everything that I have felt up until that point to these dudes. And then later my friend who I actually viewed as one of my closest friends in the home churches that I was jumping through at the time, he told me that after I had left and gone to bed, one of the dudes kind of like scoffed at everything that I had said and, and told everybody to basically take everything that I say with a grain of salt. Sure. And that was, it was super hurtful in my mind because I was being 100% true and honest. And obviously that's not what they wanted to hear. Right. That's, that's not what I should be saying. And so that made it, that's really, that was the turning point for me to where I started to really say, fuck this. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. yeah. I'm done forming. And so I tanked spiritually in their minds. Yeah. And this is when I started to really not care what people thought about me. Yeah. Uh, you, you're but, tired of propping up the image. You're absolutely. Tired of, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you, what I, do you say? Let me just ask you, Colin. I, I, I didn't interrupt you, but let me just no, ask you fine. just a quick insertion. You know, what do you say to people who believe Xenos? I mean, using Mark's wonderful uh, URL, what do you say to people that say Xenos uh, can't be a cult? It's not a cult. It's, 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 it's a Christian religion. It's this church of people who are just misunderstood. I mean, what, I mean, they obviously have their own defenses against it, which are elaborate and I think largely uh, one dimensional. They completely miss the entire point of what cultism really is about. Cause it's, cause they, mm. asking a cult to be objective about itself is not an easy thing to, <laughs> to get truth out of. But, but what do you say to people who, who believe that, that Xenos is just this misunderstood bunch of people? They're misunderstood, uh, uh that they're, that they're, they're taking such a strong stand for truth that, that, that people can't hack it and they have to leave and, and, and name call. What do you say to people like that? What do I say to people that don't believe that Xenos is a cult? I don't believe that it's, it's damaging or controlling. Oh, well, I say, uh, you know, you need to pay attention to the red flags. Mm. I, I have always felt like in the back of my head throughout all the years that I was in Xenos, that there was red flags going off in the back of my head. Subconsciously, there were things that I knew were wrong. I felt personally that this thing or that thing or whatever form of manipulation and controlling and how we talked to people, what we had, our agendas, this, that, and the other thing. There were things that we did that I did personally that I felt were wrong. Mm -hmm. And I didn't listen to those red flags. They popped up for a second. And then I was like, oh, no, but I, you know, this is for me. This is because this is what God wants me to do. Mm -hmm. I need to be spiritual you have all this other shit stacked up for what you need to accomplish and how you need to view things and how you need to 
strive to be better and do better. But in the back of your mind, there are small, small things that you hear the tiny little voice in your head that says, this is wrong. This isn't right. This, this is immoral. This is not what God truly wants you to do. There, the stuff like that, the negative thoughts that people told you to not think about, to push away, to pray about, to dive deeper into your word about the, because yeah. that's what they would call them. They would say it was negative thoughts, emotions. It was Satan, you Satan. know, it, yeah. the evil one. He's trying to influence you to not do God's work. Listen to him. Um, it sounds wrong saying listen to Satan because of how they've made it. But, like, listen to what is being said. Don't just write it off because yeah. they say it's the evil one. Because yeah. if I didn't write it off I think I would have been out of there years before I actually was yeah right because there are so many things that are just openly wrong people if you were looking like if you were looking at this some of the scenarios that I was in the manipulation the the just the things that I said and did to influence people to be sold out for this for this church I would have never have done in my right mind now. Right. And an outside perspective, if they saw the, some of the stuff that I've said and done to manipulate people, they would think it's vile. They'd be like, Dude, why, how, why, how can you be okay with doing this? Yeah. In my, in my head, I knew that these kind of things. <clears throat> so I guess my answer to that is listen to those red flags. Pay yeah. attention. Think about them because sure, not every red flag is going to actually be a act like a legitimate red flag to where you know you should actually really ponder on it. But right. you don't time a day, and when you're sold out for the church, and yeah. I'm telling you that you should give it something. Don't brush it off right away. Listen right. to it about it. Actually, get outside of what everybody is selling you on. Don't drink the Kool-Aid once so that you can listen and think for yourself for just a minute and think about these things that are coming up in your head yeah. that you are seeing as wrong and actually just think about, is this wrong? Is this actually what I should be doing with my life? Should I be manipulating this person in this way? Because it's not viewed as manipulation right now, but in this moment, I'm viewing it as manipulation. So. Right. Yeah, and one of the things I'm sorry go, go ahead finish your thought I'm sorry no that was that was it yeah well I was going to say you know Colin you know could it be you know like I said it, it, when you're in a system that, that demonizes and makes and, 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 and infer that anything negative anything objective that you might hear about itself and, and, and attribute it to demons and devil and Satan could it be that maybe those thoughts, maybe more just your own personal, your own personal uh, regrets, your own personal perspective? See, see that's the thing. They, 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 Dennis McCallum and the entire Xenos Dwell movement—they—they—they're into demonizing and, and calling demonic, calling satanic, calling devilish any kind of thoughts that might that might bring some clarity to what people see. 
In other words, you mentioned a moment ago, I, I know there's going to be people from Zenos, from the world listening to this, who are going to say, see, here he is. He's saying, listening to the devil. He just said, you should listen to the devil. That's not anything you just said. No, not at all. You said completely, no, listen, listen, listen to the voice of doubt and consider it. And, and, and you know, truth, you know, that, that, because those voices of doubts may be just you, your own observation. And that's just what you've been saying all along. What you observe, what you see, what you've measured as being something that, that's troubling. It's, it's, and it's, it's as if they want you to feel like your thought processes at this point, when you, when you engage in them, as if suddenly it's, it's entirely inspired by the evil one, by the devil. You shouldn't have those. You should destroy those. That's, that's, that's a classic thought stopping cliche that, uh, that cults engage in. And I ask this question. I appreciate you taking the time to answer it because this is something that comes up again and again and again. We're not a cult. We can't be a cult. Well, no, yes, you, you, you actually fit all, all, all the, all the, uh, all the criteria for that. I, I've mentioned that, uh, you know, cult mind control is what, is what places like Xenos engage in. And, and the thing is, cult mind control doesn't look like mind control. It's a characteristic of a culture that you're so much a part of that you got no way of stepping back and seeing it for what it is. There's an right. agenda of authoritarianism, which you have plainly confessed to. And, 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 and of course, now you're, you're now is at this point in your story, you're, you're feeling the full weight of it. Oh, you know, yeah. you're, 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 you are feeling uh, the pressure. And there's one aspect of, of, of cult mind control. There's, there's eight, there's eight principles, there's eight characteristics of it, actually. That's called the cult of confession. And the cult aspect actually is referring to like specific times of communal self-criticism, which, which drives the group to pursue purity. And they do it in small groups or mentoring relationships. And, and they aim at transforming their people in ways you, you wouldn't think any other way. And, and within these highly influential times of confession of weaknesses and failings and sins, members are often subject to stern disciplinary practice. And in this case, you have Xenos' uh, uh, principles about, about being pure and not being falling into sexual sin. Those are just, those are anvils. Those are Bible hammers, you know, thumping over your head. And these, and they freely use fear, guilt, and shame to change you. And, and, and they take many forms, but of course, it all comes down to the small group where people, where you're, where you're around a bunch of people who are going to sit there and make of you what the group thinks you should be made of. And that's what this young man, uh, this, this housemate of yours just basically did. So what happened after that? I mean, I know this had to, had to have been a crushing thing. You've just been so, so honest, you know, trying to just, you know, fess up these guys and, and, and be wide open. What, 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 uh, how, what happened after that? Um, uh, I started having issues with being viewed as a spiritual influence in the home church, in the group. Um, and I slowly declined, um, in their minds, I started to decline in my mind. I also felt, I guess, like I was declining thinking back on it. Um, I think I was regaining my voice. Yeah. Cause the, I guess the last thing that I wanted to add to this, this guy, the, um, this previous use excerpt that we were just talking about is that 
um, a better way to word all of this for, you know, it, why is, is Xenos a cult or, or, or it's not a cult, what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what happens is that they make it so the voice in your head is either the Lord or the devil, and you yeah. have lost your voice. Yeah, exactly. The voice, the voice in your head has disappeared. And it is yeah. either God or Satan, and that's the mindset that you are now put into. And so I think that in this instance, after that, I was so crushed that my voice started to reappear, and I started to listen to it. And people mm-hmm. viewed that as me listening to Satan, and I still was so back and forth. I would be like, you're right, I need to do better, I need to do this, I need to do that. But I just kept declining and declining. And so then eventually, I was asked to move out of the ministry house, which is a huge, a huge stab to, like, the pride, your spirituality as a person, how your your reputation is hurt big time when you are asked to move out of the ministry house. Right. And so that was I that was a big downfall for me and people's respect for me was lost and I've now become a, a, um, a yeah I've become a pariah a back burner case that isn't super focused on um but then they wanted me to move back in you know they're like we want a good redemption story we want to see you redeem yourself and repent for what you've done and move forward and this that and the other thing and for a little bit I didn't really want to and so it was very slow moving but as time went on I was reconvinced that this is what's best for me I need to be back in the ministry house because when you're not in it surrounded by these people that you're constantly around all of the time when you're in the ministry house, you get lonely, you get depressed. It's basically yeah. like you're removed from the church without being removed. Yeah. You feel isolated. You don't get to hang out with these people as frequently. You have to make more of an effort to actually see your friends because now that you're not in the ministry house, you don't just wake up and see some of your buddies that you've grown to really enjoy being around. You've got to make an effort and, they, they, that's their goal. They want you to miss it. And they, they do a good job yeah. making you miss it. Yeah. And so I, I buttoned my shirt straight and went back to the grind of trying to get back into the good graces of these people so that I could get the approval to move back into this house with all these dudes. Mm, yeah. And I did. I ended up moving back in. And I was the redemption story of the year. (laughs) I became influential again. I was not at the top of my game because that could never happen again because of all the downfalls that I'd already had. Because that is one thing that I have also learned um, is that they do not let anything go. Yeah. When When you're reprimanded for something, it's, well, based on your track record or... This is a common occurrence with you, this, that, and the other thing. Grace and forgiveness is thrown completely out the door when you're being um, confronted. Yeah, yeah. You've done this X, Y, Z times, and you got a 
you got to kick this like a bad habit. And if you don't, we're going to keep bringing it up. Yeah. And so yeah. Because, of, because of my reputation and my track record, I was never able to get back to the caliber of spirituality that I was before. And so yeah. when I worked and worked and worked and worked and really tried as hard as I could to get back to where I was and kept failing or kept being told, you know, I need to do more. I need to do more. And in my mind, I'm like, this is the same amount of effort I was putting in, if not more, when I was viewed as like, I'm about to become a leader. Like I'm on the fast track to being this leader for this home church, like being a big dog, being a big influencer, you know, I like, I didn't understand. And so then it felt like I was being watched constantly. I was being lorded over. I had this thing that I really wanted that they made me want, and I couldn't reach it. It was like they carried on the stick. Exactly. Yep. And I was running and running and getting more and more burnt out and yep. then reprimanded for being burnt out. And after probably not even, I don't even think a year, I was asked to rem- to move out of that ministry house again. And at this point also, Josh Benedum has wants nothing to do with me and has dropped me like a bad habit. And um, I'm not studying with him anymore. So I'm now studying with this other person because his excuses were that he needs to focus on people that are on a, more of the right track to becoming a leader, yeah. more spiritual influencer. He saw me as a lost cause. At this point, yeah. So, in my mind, I've I've lost the game. I've lost the battle. Oh yeah, yeah. And when he when he decided that he didn't want to study with me anymore, I knew that I was never going to be great. I knew that I wasn't ever going to be this big name in this church that was so respected and looked up to and just praised for how spiritual I was. I knew that I was never going to reach that level like I was when I was studying with this guy. That's how yeah. much his persona, how much his yeah his his the view, the respect that these people had for this guy, how high it was. And I wanted that and knowing that I wasn't studying under him, I was never going to be that. Yeah. So that's so I, so, I, so I, in in Xenos God forget they tell you God forgives, but but Xenos never forgets. That's right. Absolutely. And so when I was removed from the ministry house the second time, I, I gave up completely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At that point, I don't have the person that I've looked up to for my entire life being in this. I mean, I studied with the dude for almost 10 years Mm -hmm. at this point. I mean, I've been studying under Josh Benedum for this long and now I'm not like it just, I felt like I was having one of my closest friends ripped away from me because now seeing him multiple times a week and once a week was personal. And I got to get this like one-on-one time with this dude that I viewed as like the next, like I, I viewed as Paul the apostle. Like you said, I, viewed him as this extremely spiritual, influential person for the Lord. Um, not being able to be around that really deprives you of what you are striving for in this church. And so I tanked. 
at this point I was, I gave up. I was like, I don't want to return to the college group. I'll look for an adult group. And so I basically stopped going to stuff or I went very infrequently. I made up excuses. I started turning into the fringy person that nobody really cared about. Um, and so then I decided to check out an adult group or at least that's what I said because I wanted to still save face even until the last, my last breath in that church, I was saving face. Oh, I'm going to go check out these adult groups. That's why I'm not coming out to these college groups. Oh, I'm going to this adult group now. Like I've transitioned or whatever, but I didn't ever go to an adult group. I just said that because I knew that they wouldn't ever look into it. Yeah. Right. Be like, oh, well, at least he's still pursuing a spiritual life in the church, you know. Yeah, so but, they, you, but you couldn't force the conviction any further. I mean, it was it was done. It was toast. You just didn't do it. Yeah. So, wow. So that was. I mean, that hasn't been the lowest thing. I mean, to me, this is how I look at it, um, Colin. You know, Xenos is a lonely place to be, and if you don't fit in. If it's, it's what more lonelier place can you be to be surrounded by dozens, hundreds of people who are all, you know, dressing up and looking the part and appearing to be so together, and and yet you you know, you know, when you're looking at yourself and you feel your your weaknesses and you and you feel your uh your shortcomings, just how much of that you have to hide. How much do you have to have to have to make excuses for? How much you have to be, you know, pistol whipped verbally over why? <laughs> I mean, that's what it comes down to, and, uh, and that's something. You know, that's every every one of you who've been on here who have testified about Xenos have made that very clear. Xenos, for all that it says, has got to be one of the loneliest places on the planet. Nobody can be real there. Yeah. How did you get through that moment? Those times of. Uh, I mean, absolute despair, which sounds like to me. Like I said, it's a lonely time in your life, but uh, how, how did you move forward? I was actually, at the time, I was not living in the ministry house and was planning on getting engaged with my wife, and so I ended up doing that. Um, thankfully, I asked my girlfriend to marry me. I kind of was my only saving grace when I wasn't a part of everything that was going on inside of this home church that I used to be in. Uh-huh. Um, and so from there, I was like, okay, this is where I can kind of make my comeback. I guess I can return to this college group um, lifestyle and not feel as ostracized and unwanted um, and as something else. Because I, in my mind, you know, she was in the college group still. She still wanted to be a part of all of that. And so we even, were under Even the, though she saw what was going on, she still wanted to be a part. Yeah, we, you know, she was just like me. You know, we were both very convinced that it was the best thing for us. We wanted okay. to be a part of this community that we felt was helpful, even with all of its negatives. and. Well, I have a question then at this point. Now, was, this was a new girl, a new girlfriend, you said? 
Yes. At this point, I have been dating this girl. Uh, her name's Amber. Okay. We had, we had been dating for about two years at this point. Okay. And Amber, but Amber wasn't the, the first girlfriend that, that, that you guys, you know, had, you had your moments and, uh, and you got in trouble for it. Uh, this is a different person, right? Correct. This is a completely different girl. Okay. I, that's, that's what I was wondering. That's what came to mind about somebody who just got, I mean, just, like I said, just, uh, ostracized as, as the both of you were. Wow. That'd be an extraordinary moment there. So, okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so you guys uh, hooked up and, uh, had a wonderful, um, yeah, moment where you, where you're, and like you said, marriages and the hope of marriage is always, always a saving grace uh, for, uh, for young men. So, um, who, who were looking for, uh, direction, you know, so, um, so where did you go from there? And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to clarify that. Sure. No, of course. I totally understand. I didn't clarify that earlier. Um, so yes, at this point, I've been dating this girl for a while. And so it was a long time coming that I was going to ask her to marry me. But, okay. Um, Great. But, um, yeah, so from there, I was, we had come to the conclusion that I would join her home church, um, because I wasn't really a part of my home, my home church, my group. At that point, I was pretty checked out. Um, and I really liked the idea because it, in my mind, it was a completely fresh start because it was not just a different home church, but it was a completely different sphere. So I had no connections to anybody in that, um, in that circle. And so I'm not sure um, how much, how well versed you are in what spheres are, but if you'd like me to, I'd be more than happy yeah, to. Yeah, I'd like to. That's, I mean, it helps, you know, helps establish, you know, just where you were. Sure. Yeah. So the way that spheres worked was that there was more of, so the higher ups, I guess. So there was, when it came down to the base levels, so there was home churches and there was the members of the home church. And then there were leaders of that home church. And then of the leaders in the home churches, there were senior leaders. Those were the ones that were basically appointed as you are the head honcho, the shot caller, the one that um, is looked to by, um, I guess, administration and the people that are higher above you, like the elders and the sphere leaders and that, that would kind of, you would report to them. And they would be looking at the senior leader to kind of make sure that these groups are running smoothly. So then when you go from a senior leader, the next thing up is um, a sphere leader because they are the overseer of all of the groups that are in their sphere. And so the best way to explain that is um, there was thousands of people in the college group, um, in the adult group in middle school groups, like in the church as a whole, there was a very large number of people. And so they didn't want just the elders to be the only ones kind of overseeing everything and making all the shots. Um, mm. And so they wanted to kind of help delegate um, authority. And so they would break it down. So then they yeah. made the, would separate groups into spheres so for example dennis mccallum had his own sphere that he oversaw and would be in communications with all of these senior leaders about their home churches mm -hmm. 
Right. Right. Dennis Callum's sphere was the one that I was in, that that was the most sought after sphere to be in because you're directly under Dennis McCallum. There was like a weird pride, like power flex that people would have for being in Dennis McCallum's sphere. I don't know. It was very weird. And it was very common where people would just be like, Oh, we're the best sphere. Mm-hmm. Like every sphere like has a certain way of thinking. Like it was even like the way that their teachings went. So like, Dennis's beliefs bled down through these groups more than it would in for um, in Scott Risley's sphere, which is another elder of the church. He had his own sphere. James Rochford had his own sphere. Um, I don't, uh, I forget some of the other sphere leaders. Did, did, Con- did Conrad uh, Hilario, the guy I interviewed uh, a yeah. year ago, was he a sphere leader? Yes, he was a sphere leader. Okay. I don't, I don't know at that point if he was still a sphere leader or if he was just a consultant to the sphere leaders. Because I know wow. that some some sphere leaders amazing, amazingly elaborate hierarchy, but uh, not, but not unsurprising. All all cult movements uh, they operate in hierarchies. You know, I mean, I mean, they, I, I can imagine them being very critical of the Roman Catholic Church, but they have their own they have their own College of Cardinals. They have their own Pope. You know, it's, right. all, it's, it's, it's all very analogous, you know, and again, it's just the way human nature is. If you're going to have a group of a, a mass movement, you've got to have a, a leadership behind it. You know, we don't, you know, there's no fault of that, but it's just amazing how elaborate these things can, can be. And then, of course, when you're talking about how, where, you know, finding another spear leader, finding another place to, to, to start out under, to, you know, to do a fresh start. Uh, it's just amazing how you can, uh, you can actually find that, uh, that, that kind of operative hope or reality in a place like Xenos, which supposedly, you know, based on, you know, um, everybody being treated right to begin with, right? Right. Exactly. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, yeah. so you had this, so you had, and you, you and her were trying to, you know, get back a good grace of things and you were hoping it would work out. So what happened after that? So at that point, um, we had got had our engagement party and all that. That's also, this is also a big, big thing. I don't know if anybody's really got into all of this, but um, I'm, I won't take too much time on it, but dating is like a big thing in the college group. Oh yeah. There is its whole own, it's got its whole own, like, I guess, guidelines and criterias and, there's a specific way to date in the college group and okay. you got to adhere to it or else you're going to get a lot of flack uh-huh. and you're going to get told to break up with your, your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. So you got to yeah. do things very specifically or else people don't like it. But so <laughs> in this criteria, wow. Um, before you get engaged, you need to ask the best friends of the girl that you're going to ask to marry you. If like, it's okay. Do you have their support? Do they believe that they're in a good space place to get married? This, that, and the other thing. And so for me at this point, it was just kind of a formality. And I just, I knew the song and dance. So I did that. And Amber's friend basically was like, no, I don't think you should get married, but like, I'm not going to stop you basically. 
and I wasn't going to. That's awful nice of her. (laughs) (laughs) How thoughtful of her. Wow. Amazing. Go go ahead. I'm sorry. I just, that just cracked me up. Go ahead. (laughs) It's yeah. It's a bunch of bullshit is what it is. I mean, (laughs) there's no other way to cut that. It's just, it's ridiculous. So I, at this point, I did not care. I was like, I love this girl. I'm going to marry her. I didn't care what anybody had to say because there's the entire time that we've been dating, there's been a lot of flack and a lot of negativity surrounding it because early on in the relationship, her and I had uh, moments of, I guess, sin where we kind of pushed the envelope for what was okay in a dating relationship and people did not like that, that we stayed together and yada, yada. Um and so people have been against the entire time, basically. Okay. So we were like, okay, well, being married, <laughs> their whole their whole thing is that you know I think it's in First or Second Corinthians it talks about um, if you are in sexual sin, get married. Basically, is how it boils it down. Um, yeah, you don't want to be burning. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the old uh, fallback by so many people uh, who take scripture truthfully as they should, but but you know it's 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 kind of like a misnomer. It's it, among among Christian culture that well, if you if, if you're, I mean, pardon the French, but if you, if you're hot, you two are hot. It's much if you're hot for each other. It's, it's be a whole lot better if you would just marry. Because uh, we don't want you, we, because, you know, it's, it's better to marry than to burn. That's what the scripture literally says. It's, gotcha. be, it's, it's better to get together and hook up, uh, in, 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 in before the sight of God than, uh, than, than to just struggle with these passions. Mm-hmm. And, and whereas that's, that's the apostle Paul's rather short, not, not, uh, his, his rather very abbreviated summary of, of a very much longer explanation of all that throughout the entire chapter there. In summary, you know, that, that, that's, that's a, a, a good thing to do, of course, but, uh, like I said, but it seems to me like, in, and, and Xenos isn't alone in this. It's, 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 it's as if human nature itself within Christian circles wants to find some way to justify the outlet of, of desire, you know, of a man for a woman, woman for a man. They want to find, have some way to, to, to justify. And, and, the Apostle Paul's words, you know, are, are I think a little bit more <laughs> more nuanced than that. But but that common, but that's lost when you have a bunch of people talking about, you know, about that sort of thing, and and then it then becomes a, a cultural touch point. Um, so right. it begins, and and you see, as I say, is isn't alone. There are churches and places all over where people feel, well, it's just better if you go ahead and get go ahead and get married. You no, know, it's just, and that way. Um, you know, when you do consummate the marriage and you're together, you know, you guys are be okay. But of course, there's, uh, I think as any pastor knows or anyone knows or any couple knows, it's a lot more life than a marriage bed, you know, so, but, but anyway, but that's basically what, as far as people want to go with it, they, they, that's, that's as far as, as many people of this assumption want to go as if, well, that's, the primary reason why you should marry, so you don't, so you don't have sexual feelings any longer, so they're satisfied. And, and uh, I'm not sure at all that 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 scripture is really making that kind of uh, inference. But, 
but it's understandable, you know. Uh, and then I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just tried to insert that point uh, that that my my understanding of, of that verse and and so you're telling me Xenos basically went that route and that's something that they do and this and this is part of the marital the whole courtship thing going on there uh, in in Xenos, right. especially if best friends can tell you whether you can marry them, that's that's just kind of messed up. But <laughs> go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> No, totally fine. I appreciate that clarity because that's basically what they told us, and what you explained makes a lot more sense. Um, but yes, so we we were engaged. You know, we were excited. We had this engagement party. We asked some of our friends to be a part of our wedding. You know, as people do, you want to have a wedding party. You know, we're getting into the nitty gritty of planning our wedding and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And we're coming up to to the point where the talk is, okay, if you're going to stay in this home church, I should join you. And um, that was our plan. I was going to join her home church, and all was going to be good. We were going to be in the college group together, and we were going to be a married couple in that group, and yada, yada, whatever. Um, But I think that subconsciously I had other plans <laughs> mm-hmm. because I went out with my buddies that I had asked me to be a part of my wedding and we we got to talking and basically I told them because I didn't want to go into this marriage with my wife with like anything kind of hidden so I told them that her and I had been having sex for a, a period of time so and that's a huge no-no in especially in Xenos. It's like that is the end-all, be-all. If you've had sex in a dating relationship, you're just you can't do worse than that kind of thing. And so I came out to my friends about that, and then I told her that I had done that. And so then she came. She was planning on coming out to her friends. Um, to basically, we wanted to clean the slate. Let everybody know, you know, that we had had sex and this, that. And before she could even talk to anybody about it, she was confronted by her discipler. Like, hey, I heard that you and Colin are having sex and blah, blah, blah. And it was like, um, actually, yes, because I was getting ready to, like, talk to you about this. And <laughs> not sure already know this, but okay. Um why not? Yeah, this is, this is what's been, this is what's been happening. And I mean, she explained everything. And, it was just like a huge level of disappointment yeah. and like, I believe you've been lying to me and, well, you know, this huge guilt trip manipulation shit that they do all the time, you know, and it was just make you feel real bad about it. And then she was like, okay, well, you know, I want you to open up and talk to these other people. So Amber's like, okay, yeah, I will. I was planning on doing that. So I, yeah. I was, I'm going to do that. You know, it's, yeah. And so before she has a chance to do this, her discipler, Kaylee Allen, has brought it upon herself to gather all of the Mm -hmm. leadership team of the girls and talk to her Mm -hmm. about So Amber goes to Kaylee's house and basically she shows up and Mm -mm. all of these girls are already at her house yep. and are there yep. to confront. Sounds familiar. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
insane is that it's like days after she had just talked to Kaylee. It wasn't even a week. Like it was days to this, she gets confronted by all these girls. And then by that following week, they're like, yeah, we're going to have this disciplinary meeting for you. So they were, they were quit within a week and a half to two weeks. Amber was put in front of the church to be removed from the, yeah. from Xenon. And yeah. mm-hmm. so she, she showed up to her disciplinary meeting, her excommunication meeting, whatever you want to call it. What people in Xenos in the college group call it is disciplinary meeting because they don't want it to sound so hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, it's, anything to stroke the conscience, anything to sound biblical. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so she shows up, they lay her dirty laundry out for everybody to hear, and people that she didn't even know, yeah. people that she's talked to, had a relationship with, are tearing into her and telling her how betrayed they feel and how this is, like, so ungodly and unspiritual of you, and it's disgusting that you've been lying to us, and blah, 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 blah. And, I mean, she is just torn to shreds and yeah. embarrassed she I mean she's basically like it's like the Salem witch trials and she's being burned in front of yeah. everybody yeah did, is the way drives it let me ask you this question uh did they I'm, I'm gonna sound like Howard Stern at this point I, I really don't want to but but I have to ask the question on the basis of what I've understood what goes on in these meetings did they require her to sit down and just just clinically describe everything you did together as a couple and when and where and 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 with and how long it's been going on. I mean, did they actually get into that that degree of of uh, this of demanded self disclosure? No, so she didn't have to. Okay. What about the, you? Uh, the senior leader is the one that lays all of it out there. Okay. All right. So. The senior leader for her group was the one that laid out all of Amber's dirty laundry. And he would ask a question or two since she was there, because half the time the person doesn't show up to these things. Mm-hmm. It, it's not frequently, and I had been to plenty in my day. At that at that point, I had been to probably about five or six disciplinary meetings, um, just being a part of the college group. Not for myself obviously but for my friends and stuff i'd been a part of their removal of the church but is always the one that kind of lays out this is what they were doing this is why it's wrong um here's explicit you know explanations of what they were doing basically they have the list of this is what they've been doing, and this is how long they've been doing it kind of thing. Why does Xenos so, require that kind of basically voyeuristic uh, visualization of what you guys did? Why do, why do they require – I mean, having sex before marriage. I, mean, I don't know how much more evocative that term can be, but why do they require – you that that kind of 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 detail in that. I mean, why 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 would they do that? Why, why is that why is that establishment that yes, you guys were having sex before marriage? Why why is that not enough in Xenos? It's a scare tactic. There's always an agenda. Um, for the years that I was in the college group before I left the church, 
<sighs> I would sit down and talk with um, Josh Benenum, and he would be like, hey, we're going to this disciplinary meeting tonight, and we want to make sure that this, 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 and this person are there that are more like on the fringe, I guess is what they would call them, someone that's more not as committed because they want them to be a part of this situation, but they're committed enough that we can consider them a worker. Like they're not going to just invite somebody that they're really trying to win over. But if you're committed enough, you're invited kind of thing. And so they would use this as a way to show them that they need to move past their sin and commit more to God. So, like, you could have a person that you're trying to win over to move into the ministry house who hasn't committed yet because they're in a dating relationship with a girl that's not in the um, in the church or a dude that's not in the church. This is the way to win them over. You scare them out of it. And so, this, more often than not, it was stuff like this that would I be eye-opening to some people. Some people, it was a complete turnoff, but some people were like, oh, my God, I don't want this to happen to me. And so then they cut off all ties with their significant other that's not in the church or this, that, or whatever. So it was – that's why they aired people's stuff out as much as they do so that way they give everybody a clear picture of, hey, if this is what you're hiding, this is what's going to happen to you. Wow. They make an example of the person that is being removed from the church, and that's exactly what they did. Because, unfortunately, the reason why um, someone who is a part of the disciplinary meeting is invited to come to their own disciplinary meeting is because there's a vote at the end that determines whether or not you stay in the church. And so Amber went because she wanted to be a part of the church. She wanted to stay. She wanted to be repentant, yeah. and or she wanted to be seen as repentant. So that she could stay, because the whole thing is that you're pleading your case for why you should stay in the church. So did her spirit reader sit there and roll, lay this all out? And obviously she had to have gotten. I don't again. I don't want to sound distasteful, but she obviously had to have gotten information from her, from your, from your, um, your at this point fiance about what you guys were doing sexually, and she, she. Perry drew it all out and then, and then she just regurgitated back in her face and says, oh, this is the reason why we're going to, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. I mean, was, did Amber have to deal with that, uh, at that point? Yes, basically. So hmm. I guess, so also the sphere leader isn't involved in this. It's just the senior leader and the group. The senior leader. Did. Okay. All right. I'm the, sorry. I, I meant, I, I, I just transposed in my head. Okay. I senior leader. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, you're totally the the sphere leader James Rochford was aware of the situation. I'm sure he was. Have to have it approved to have a disciplinary meeting, and he approved it. Um, so you, there is a step that you have to go through. You can't just decide I'm going to kick this person out of the church. You oh know, no, they have to, yeah, there's process. <laughs> right. So any organization is always going to be a process, and there's going to be paperwork, and there's going to be meetings, and yeah. Very, very, yeah. very, very, uh, very biblical. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> so he was, he was more than aware. Um, and, um, yeah, so this, the senior leader, I mean, they, they don't talk to the person being disciplined out unless they were 
like, for example, this, the senior leader was a dude. His name was Josh Peltier. He did not have that close of a relationship with Amber. He was never going to ask her, tell me all the things you did sexually with your husband or with your boyfriend. He never did that. He just got through the grapevine of this is what they were doing. Okay. So he he got he said she said yeah stuff because Amber didn't really go into deep detail. They just started to you know make assumptions and explain things and get information because come to find out, my buddies were telling me that Amber's disciple or Kaylee Allen was calling them, asking them for what happened between her and I. So basically they were asking everybody but Amber and I what we did sexually to basically make their case. Like I was never talked to during this entire process and neither was she after they had decided that they're doing this disciplinary meeting. Now, so, now your, your situation you're describing is altogether too, too, um, what's the word we're looking for? It's, it, it's, it's just something that happens on a pretty regular basis in, 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 in Xenos. So, but, um, was this something that, that, okay, in, 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 let's just say we could do this. Let's say we had an, we could, we could, we could press a button and look at a, at a, at a, 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 a spreadsheet that, uh, Xenos does create for these sort of things and look mm-hmm. over each and every one of these cases that they've created, you know, which, I'm, which I'm certain they have, you know, documentation for it. We, we, we all know that this is something they do. Let's say we saw 50 cases in, in each of these 50 cases. I, I would guess that at this point, what you're saying is, is that they would take different approaches depending on the situation on how they would gather this surveillance. In other words, there would be perhaps the instance in which maybe the next young couple who who decided to fess up, uh, they would perhaps get all the details directly from them as they fessed up. Uh, or, or or is this is this a common pattern? I guess what I'm asking is, is this how Xenos would would do that kind of diligence on you by getting third hand information as to substantiate uh this this confession of 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 uh of sin to my understanding it's always been third party it's never this is how i believe that the college group has kind of continued on with how they approach people in sin is that it's a he said she said basis Unless you know the person really well and you hear it from their mouth. But even then, I mean, I was reporting to Josh Benedum all the time about, oh, my God, this person's this person's dirty laundry. You know, this person's this. Oh, my God, did you hear about this person? It was constant gossip. And so then people go based off, based off of the gossip. And so then when you're confronted about it, you're confronted in front of a bunch of people like, okay, so, you know, we heard you were having sex with this person is this true? And then you would have to answer yes or no, basically. But after that point, everybody already is aware of it and is in fully, is already in 100% belief that this is the truth. So you don't really have a choice in being able to advocate or explain yourself. Once they have a view of you, once they have a story about you, once you have had these rumors go around about you, that's who you are. That's how you are viewed. I mean, it's like I explained way earlier 
when I was telling you about this, people were saying that, you know, when I say something, you got to take it with a grain of salt. That's how everybody viewed me. Mm-hmm. It's the, that's the reputation, repu, um, reputation that you get. That's the seal that you get of, I can't be trusted. Amber is, you know, sleeping around with people. This person's. With people? You know, it becomes now, now it becomes this. She's, <laughs> she's promiscuous. She had sex with you, you know, I don't know how many times, you know, and suddenly it's, is that what it jumped up to? That's, that's the reputation that people get when that, when this starts to, when this stuff starts to fly in Xenos. Correct. Social life. Correct. Correct. Because the thing is, is that before Amber was, um, in the church, she had had sexual relations, relations with other, other dudes before she was in the church because she was only a part of the church for, a couple of years by the time she was being removed. So I had known her when she was very early in the church, um, in her life in the church, in the college group. But before that, she had a whole other life, you know. And so yeah, but they, yeah. they, t- they take your, your past, present, and future, and they mold it all together to what they want to view you as because you're a sinful person and you're being removed. Yeah. You're yeah. On the high, high chair of getting kicked out. So yeah. They yeah. created persona of you and kind of go. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your sharing. I, I mean, really, we're we're getting we're, we're coming up on an awfully long podcast now, but but I think I've never had a chance to really, you know, and and I appreciate your sharing and your willingness to do so in helping us really understand just how intrusive and how completely. Uh, uh, immersive that Xenos culture is in the lives of those who choose to live under it to this point, to the point that you felt, you and Amber felt we want to, Hey, everything's going great for you. Everything's fantastic. You guys are planning a marriage. And then all of a sudden you feel like you have to confess. You have to say something. What if you, you know, I am certain there are people who've been married at Xenos who have, who have who have been engaging in sex before they're married and just never told anybody. It happens, I'm oh. sure. It's it's just human nature. It's right. and, and, you know, I'm you know, as well as I'm not advocating sex before marriage. It's 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 there's many reasons why it shouldn't happen, but uh the point is when it does happen, um um when it does happen, it's it's as if um every everything I know about grace and love and forgiveness and mercy just vanishes. What if you had, what if you and her had just had bad habits? Would you guys like to spend too much money or, or waste too much time? Um, I imagine that, you know, that, that as much as they would, uh, come down on you for that, that, that for some reason, uh, there wouldn't be as, as many people crowded into a room to, to verbally pistol whip you. Um, <laughs> as, 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 as much as, as if you guys were known that you were having sex. I remember in December 2021 when I first went to Columbus and I met a young woman who basically shared with me the fact that uh, she had done exactly almost the same thing that, that uh, you and Amber did. And as, as she was, um, you know, of course, human nature being what it is, you know, you, you love someone, you, you want more and more, and that's where the desire comes in and that's where you're, where, where, where the sexual uh, pro, uh, not, uh, the sexual uh, 
uh, attraction comes, of course. You know, you're someone you love and you're attracted to them and, and hormones fly and you're, you're young and, you know, so it's, it's life, you know, that's, that's what it is. But, um, right. So she had almost exactly the same testimony you guys did. And I remember how completely blown away I was, but she basically shared with me that when they, when she had her meeting, uh, the room was filled with, with, um, um, the people of her, her in her house or her, uh, people in her, in her, in her ministry house, as well as a whole bunch of young teenage prospects. That right. basic that were there watching everything and hearing what was going on and that and that she had to sit there and basically tell them exactly what she did, how long again, that's what I was mentioning, what what the whole nature of everything was. And even even before strangers, it, I think at some point I think I think some of them even questioned her. Asked her right. what about this, what about that? Mm-hmm. So I remember how completely blown away I was, but then I've, I've after the past year, this is no longer surprising to me. Yeah, but right. I, what I do appreciate the fact is that you're you're taking the time to explain just how normal this is in, in right. Xenos, how completely accepted it is for people to be in that kind of position in your life to basically, I mean, t- you can't be any more naked uh, in this. You can't be any more vulnerable. You can't be any more defenseless than in, be in a situation where the most deepest intimate parts of your life are made public. I mean, uh, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I don't recall verse or um, scripture, chapter or verse in the Bible which mentions that you have to uh, continually confess your sins before a whole bunch of people don't even know you. There is, right. but that, that, I mean, it's a complete bastardization, a, a complete distortion of what the scriptures actually say about confession of your sin one to another. Uh, I don't think one to, I think one to another means what it means. One to another, one on one. This right. is not something that ever needs to be, ever needs to be uh, pu- uh, public at all for people to get to gape over. But Xenos has made it a spectacle. Uh, a, a very, very uh, needful spectacle, uh, a spectacle in order to make sure that they get people uh, that kind of and ensure that, to ensure they strike people with that kind of fear, and that's mm-hmm. just like I'm sorry, fear is not a god. I remember if I know anything about the Bible, it's that you know, fear is not something that He stirs up in you uh, just to keep you in line. I mean, there's there's things called conviction. He deals with you. Scripture, and I'm sure the guilt you guys felt. I mean, I'm sure afterwards. I, mean, I know you you guys certainly. Uh, struggle with it to the point you simply felt you had to tell somebody about it. So uh, that's the room of the Holy Spirit. That's what he does. And unfortunately, you were taught otherwise. You were taught in order to be, to make it right, you have to go before the group and, and, and let them play God over you. So, so I know we we really tarried here a long time, but I, I really, it's been very, it's been very cautionary and I appreciate that. So, so, so what on, so, so you guys went to these horrible meetings, you, you, you know, and her and, and you were, so what, what was it, what was the result? What, what eventually happened after that? Yes. So to clarify, I actually never had to do anything. Okay. After so, you, I, so you got so off. I, yeah. After I told my friends, um, what had happened and everything, I just, I did my own thing. I never had a disciplinary meeting because I was already basically out of my old college group and going to, in quotations, to an adult group. So I wasn't going to anything already. 
So I wasn't really fully involved because I was planning on jumping into her home church when the time came. But since I wasn't actually a part of it, it didn't. There was nothing to be kicked out of in my case. Okay. So <laughs> it was just, it was just Amber that had to go through this. Oh, okay. Go so, through this beratement of shaming. Okay. So you so both I, were you were in consent were were in premarital consensual sex, but she had to bear bear the brunt. Exactly. Wow. And that's not uncommon either because it's a woman. It's always a woman's fault, isn't it? Uh, yep, that's how they make you feel. That's for sure. It's a very misogynistic place. They, yeah. you know, she was she was a temptress, and, mm-hmm. and and she just you know and she just you know dragged you down into her into her depths of sin. Uh, yeah, it is misogyny. It really is, and that, that's that's a whole other Xenos verse thing. I really want to do eventually with with some members yeah. where we discuss the misogyny of Xenos. It's there. It's 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 very much a part of it, and uh, it was, it's it's a very uh, demeaning, very like to me. If you want to use the word disgusting, that's what it is. That that seems to be a, a word. That seems to be a very favorite uh, term in Xenos. Disgusting. <laughs> something that fills you with 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 absolute nausea. Well, well, Xenos actually does when I, when I think of it at this point, because it's because it's doing the most horrific things in the name of God that have nothing to do with with sound, compassionate, sober, and balanced biblical faith. It's got nothing to do with it. It's 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 a complete alien. It's complete distortion of that. And I'm and I'm sorry that uh, you and Amber had to deal with that. So, okay. So she was made. You know, she she was turned into the Jezebel. Uh, on a technicality, you walked. So what happened after that? Uh, did you guys? Uh, uh, what what was your next step after that? I would like going up there. Sure. So they they had Amber step outside. They voted on it. Had her come back in. Tell her that she moved from the church. Her friends tried to walk her to her car. Complete silence. She just left and she came straight to me and told me what happened. And then the following morning, we went and got all of her stuff and moved it out of that ministry house that she was living in and into my sister's house because my sister was living alone and needed a roommate at the time. So it was very convenient. Regardless, anyway, um, we got her we got her out ASAP. She was, her stuff was out and done in one day afterwards. Cause we were not, she wasn't waiting for that. Like, you know, when you're out, you're out. It was, they gave her time, but she didn't want to be there anymore than she needed to. So. Did, we, so she moved out. Did she stick around? She want to continue to go to the church? No, well, she's not allowed. She couldn't. Okay. Cause they removed her. they, they had voted that Amber needed to be removed from Xenos, and so she wasn't allowed. Okay, to not from the house, from the from the entire fellowship itself. Correct. That was what that meeting was for, was to okay. remove her. So Amber is no longer allowed to be. She's not allowed to go to Xenos until she does the restoration plan, which is a whole other thing, because they mm. believe that she's unrepentant. That's the whole gist of it. That she isn't repentant, which is just absurd to me. But anyway, so she moved out. We carried on with our lives. We started to plan our wedding. Um, and 
as quickly as she was removed from the ministry house and from the church and all that, um, my friends start, my friends started to tell me, Hey, I don't want to be a part of your wedding. Hey, I don't want to be, Hey, I don't think you should get married. Like all of my friends started slowly kind of dropping like flies. Everybody that I had talked to about, Hey, come to my wedding, be a part of my wedding. You, my groomsmen, be my best man. All of these people for they they said no thanks i don't want to be a part of it i don't i don't believe um i don't want to support a marriage built on sin is what i was told (laughs) oh boy i lost all of my friends within a matter of months and i haven't spoke to any of them since then oh and then covid hit and then we got married right before COVID really spiked. So in March, we got married. So we got engaged in November. Everything went down. Um, basically on like Christmas day when she was removed, it was like a couple of days after Christmas, Amber was removed from the church. Oh, yeah. And then three oh. months later. Oh. So that was, that was oh. our saga. <laughs> Man. So you got married? And did you want to continue with your, what was your, what was your career path at this point? I'm sure I imagine it was rather kind of wounded, uh, I guess. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I didn't want to go back to the church because my thing was, is that I'm not going to go somewhere that Amber can't come with me to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she wasn't allowed at, at Zenos. I'm not going to go to Zenos, period. Until they're, until they're like, oh yes, you can come back and you don't have to do anything to prove yourself to be able to come back, then I am not, I'm not coming. If she, yeah. if she was allowed to go, I would have gone with her, but she wasn't allowed. And so that was, that was. So she, so she was, okay. She was, she was kicked out. She was basically a castaway. And then, but you, and because you loved her, because this is a woman you want to be with the rest of your life, you walked away with her, even though you were had your own taint. Uh they seemed like they were going to continue to tolerate your presence there. But <laughs> yeah, obviously, uh you know, obviously that ship had sailed. You know, you you had something else to do. Uh you have Correct. some you have someone you're gonna be with and there's there's a life you wanted to look ahead and I, I commend you for that. So you guys pushed ahead, you got married and uh you ha- and I basically you have you uh, I mean, you haven't been back, I guess, since. Neither, I guess neither of you have been back since. Is that, is that right? Correct. It's been um, almost three years. What is it? Yeah, it's been over three years. Almost. Yeah, just about. It is right at three years. Yeah. And so, uh, and, and, did you, and when this happened, after you married, and after you guys, you know, uh, were, were, you know, I mean, sanctified the sight of God and it's joined together. Two men leaving his, leaving the husband, uh, two men, uh, two, you, it was sanctified before God, it was legal, and you're living together. How did you feel about going back to Xenos? I mean, I mean, I mean, was the guilt there? Did you feel like you were, you were never going to be forgiven? Or, I mean, I'm, I'm certain that, that that had to have played a real number on, on the both of you. I mean, it's something that perhaps, uh, that really, uh, can can be certainly very destabilizing. I mean, how did you guys deal with that? Well, for a little bit in the beginning of our marriage, we wanted to go back. We had talked about her kind of gritting her teeth and just doing this restoration plan that they had given her 
so that she could return so that we could go back together and find our own place within the church. That's where we were towards the beginning of our marriage. We were still open to the idea of returning. Mm-hmm. Um, as time went on, I reached out to some of my friends to try and connect, you know, hoping that not every single one of my friends didn't want to talk to me anymore or didn't agree with my marriage and saw me as out of sight, out of mind. And the few people that I talked to, um, we would end up talking about why Amber and I left or what happened. And their recounts were very different than the truth. Mm -hmm. So basically there was rumors and there was a story that was constantly changed that went around about Amber and I and how we left and what transpired and this, that, and the other thing. And every time there was more stuff than the other. And it was just like, I got tired of correcting people and they would argue with me like, Oh no, but like, this is what Josh Benenham said. So this is the truth because Josh Benenham, who wasn't involved in this in any way, shape or form had the biggest state, biggest like voice in it, which made no sense to me, but they would always refer to, Oh, this is what Josh so this is what so Josh became the clearinghouse of all the information right absolutely and so what he said was like I've told like I've said this entire time what he said was the gospel basically Mm -hmm. what he said is what went and what people followed so so Joshua had nothing nothing to do with any of it. He wasn't involved in any part of his form because of, of his position. He he he's working with a hierarchy of people underneath him who are supposedly handling it, and they're all using third hand information from other people, not anything directly from the two of you. That's how he casts his apostolic mantle and authority over dictating what really happened. This is how truth has arrived at Xenos. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So when I started to hear that and people trying to tell me that, and I argued with, I think, one or two people about all this, like, no, that's not true. This is the truth. And they were like, oh, well, you know, that's not what he said, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, never mind. Like, screw this. I'm not going to try and advocate for myself. I know the truth. I know what happened. It was my story. This is my life, and this is my wife's life. This is Amber and I's story. I don't know why people are telling me my own story when I was there, and they weren't. Yeah. Why yeah. would I want to get back to something where I'm going to just have to leave, have to constantly turn around and clear something up? Yeah. So. So at that point, our we said no, thank you. I don't want to be a part of that anymore. Okay. So Amber and I are. We are. No, thank you. No, thank you ever. We don't ever want to go back to that church. And we hope that other people feel the same way because there's a lot disgusting things that happen in that church. (laughs) Well, right. There are. And then, and I can't call the church. I mean, a, a true Christian church treats people who fail with love, you know? Yeah. I, I seem to remember a verse of the Bible that says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. This is a very verse that I quoted to Kate and Conrad a year ago when we had our own little discussion about mm-hmm. how sin is handled. And I said, and I made, and I wanted them to understand as, and, and Josh and Dennis and all the rest of you are listening, there's a verse in the Bible that, that, that you may have overlooked on your way 
to your to your CTs or whatever. But there's a there's, this very verse I just quoted makes clear that forgiveness is from God. That that the promise is that if a person confesses a sin, God will will forgive them. But that's not something you feel you you need to do because you feel like you just have to become uh, the whip, the hammer. So, uh, again, you, you can call yourself a church. You can call yourself a spirit leader. You can call yourself any title you want to in your own warped organization. But it's, not, it's, it's, but don't call it a church. Don't call yourself a pastor. Don't call yourself a leader. You're none of these things. You're bullies. All of you. You're just religious bullies. You're religious people who are, who are following an organization. You're, you're following rules and legalities. And, uh, uh, that, and that's exactly what cults do. And that's what I've discovered over 30 plus years of ministry that this is what, this is what cults do. They take the scripture, they twist it into any way they want to, and then they, and then they use whatever distortion they make to, to squeeze in their own, their own, their own legality, their own, their own, uh, their own disgusting rules, uh, right. which have nothing to do again with the grace of God. I, I'm so sorry to hear that. Uh, Colin, I'm so sorry you and Amber got to deal with that, but um, how are you guys doing now? How, how, what's where's life taking you now? We're living our best life. We are not attending any church in any form. We don't um, not, but we believe in the Lord. Like we believe in God. Mm-hmm. Like that, our faith hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, because mm-hmm. I know a lot of people after dealing with the trauma of Xenos have completely switched religions and beliefs and all that. But I would, I am not, we are not one of those people. We have not changed to what we believe in. We have just changed what teachings we have believed in, because I also believe that there are a lot of teachings that have been misconstrued and yeah. misunderstood. There's a lot, there's a lot of soul searching going on with what I'm comfortable and what I'm uncomfortable with believing when it comes to the God of the Bible and yeah all of that but we are doing our, we are doing great we are living our best life we are happy we are feeling like we are finally able to think for ourselves the little voice in our head is loud and clear and we are very excited to be able to actually move forward with our own mind and our own thoughts and our own decisions and not think in the back of our head, oh my God, is this going to be okay? Is this evil, what I'm thinking? Is this wrong? Is this bad? Is this God's plan? Whatever. None of that. We don't, all that's out the window. We are just moving forward with what we believe is good. Yeah. And, and where you are now is, 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 doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be there a year from now, two years from now. I mean, you're, you're constantly growing, you're healing. Absolutely. I mean, you're, 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 you're working on the most important connection that anyone can do. Um, I'm sure as a young married couple, you're, you, you, uh, you've learned the value of getting into each other and getting uh-huh. it and, and, and making yourselves the, the center of your universe. I mean, I mean and, and, and with the Lord, of course, being at the very heart of all that, I mean, that walk is, is, is vital. Uh, yeah. but, but in any case, you, 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 you don't have to be a believer to understand how important, you know, <laughs> that relationship is to you. I mean, that's, right. that's, and I'm, and I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that it survived and that you guys, uh, you know, despite everything have, are still together. 
and um, understanding that that that, that, that uh, forgiving God and loving God does not want you living under that kind of control. So I, I really appreciate uh, your sharing all this. It's it's been most eye opening. Uh, so so in, in getting ready to close here, let me ask you just one a couple couple final questions here. Uh, why did you come forward? I mean, so many people come forward. I've never had a chance to ask this question, but mm-hmm. why did you come forward and 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 and, uh, and offer? I mean, you 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 offered to discuss this this sad situation, which thank God happily had had a redemptive ending to it. Um, why, why did you come forward and ask one to do that? Um, well, to be honest, I'm not someone who's extremely open with and just tell everybody all of my business. And I have felt, I guess, a burden to let, people know that it's okay to not be okay if you're in Xenos. And I feel like my voice might reach people that other voices haven't been able to. Um, I have a lot of friends in there, or a lot of people that I still consider a friend that yeah. I don't think me is one that I would love to see leave or to just wake up and see, smell the roses and see reality. Um, there's that, but also on top of that, I, I have never really felt like I have had a proper platform to kind of say everything that I felt like I need to say. So in a way, this is healing for me as well. It's another page that I'm able to kind of turn over because I am actually being open and honest about my thoughts, my feelings and what happened and not just saying it to thin air. I'm actually being able to possibly make a difference in someone else's life. And I think that that makes me feel like this was all worth it in the end. Yeah. That if I'm able to change somebody's life or save somebody from trauma or make somebody feel better and feel like they're not alone, then that, that means everything to me. If it's just one person that, that in and of itself makes all of this worth it, all of my suffering and all of the brainwashing and manipulation that I went through for 22 years. Yeah. Worth 23 years worth it. Yeah. 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 And your parents, your family, they're, how would, how did they take all that? My parents were beyond upset with how things were handled with Amber when she was removed. They were very supportive of her and I. Um, That's wonderful. They were at the point where they were starting to have their own doubts about how things were being run in the college group. From what I understand is that the adult group is extremely ignorant to what goes down in the college group. Um, Mm -hmm. And based on what my parents were saying, that's, kind of the gist that I got is that they just, people don't know what's going on. Like just normal members that are just a part of the adult group. They have no idea what's going on in the college group. They don't know the severity of things. But then as my parents described more things that were happening in the adult group, it seems to me like they do know what's going on in the college group because it's happening in the adult group. But it's just a little bit more tame because it's not a bunch of 19 to 23 year olds doing all of it. It's 40 to 
70 year olds doing this stuff. <laughs> so, you know they're, what I mean? Oh yeah. They're, they're going to be a little more subtle about it. They're going to have a little more worldly, worldly wise perspective. And as a 62 year old wise, bald man, I, I, <laughs> I, um, I, I understand that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, that's, that's room for a Xenos verse discussion right there. The, the, the vast cultural differences within Xenos are incredible, but, well, I'm glad to hear that they stood, they stood with you and that they, uh, yeah. had, had, that they really saw it for what it was and didn't turn you into another casualty, uh, family wise. So, well, and, and as a final question I want to ask you, uh, as, as we, as we get ready to end the, the podcast here, um, Colin, is, um, is there something you'd like to say? Is there something, a message you'd like to leave with friends? Uh, to, or maybe even to some of the leaders of Xenos who are doubtlessly going to be listening to this and transcribing it and, and digitizing it and doing whatever they're going to do with it. Uh, <laughs> is there something you'd like to say to them directly? I think I've spoke my piece already. Uh, and I could, if I go, and if I kept speaking, it would be you know, another hour of me, me starting to preach. So, okay, but <laughs> is there something you'd like to say, uh, to, to, as a final thought? Or maybe just some people you'd like to maybe just share with. Uh, I'm gonna give you the floor, and then we'll we'll go, we'll, we'll close at that point. So uh, go ahead, say what yeah, you like to say. I have <laughs> like to say. Um, first thing is that um, to everybody who didn't think that Amber and I could make it, um, this is proof that we can, and that God did want us to be married, and God did agree with our marriage decision. So, uh, in your face. <laughs> and it doesn't need to be as arrogant, but mm-hmm. basically, we proved you wrong and your thoughts were wrong and we were willing to move forward and trust that God actually has a plan for us and not that we just are so sinful and messed up that we can't actually move forward. So. Mm-hmm. I, I like I like that, and I want that to sting a little bit because it stung for a while for her and I. So, mm-hmm. and then the next thing is to everybody out there that I have ever uh, spoken to and been a part of your life for more than just ten minutes. If I was in home church with you, if I was in high school group with you, what have you? I wanted to apologize to everybody that has ever felt manipulated, um, taken advantage of, um, confused on like what they should do with their lives or felt like they had to do what I wanted them to do. I want to make sure that everybody that I've ever spoken to knows that at some point I probably tried to manipulate you or emotionally, mentally abuse you um, to get my way or should I say the the home church's way, the the church's way, and how they wanted things to be run. And I I want to make sure that every single one of you know that I am sorry that if I had any part in the trauma or the damage that you might be having now or the trauma and damage that you find out that you have because you're still fully sold on this church that is lying in using you i hope that you wake up from that and realize that not every single person that harmed you is um unrepentant because i am and i am sorry for any harm that i may have caused anybody 
Okay. All right then. Yeah. And you know, I appreciate your, your taking, your, your wanting to, I mean, I just, you don't ever have, none of my guests I've had on have ever had to do that. Or maybe my ask of the question was perhaps sometimes, um, seeming a little too intrusive. But I, I think, like I said, I think at this point, you want to be able to clear the air. And like you said, mm-hmm. make, make very clear where you, where you come from. And, and this, and you, these will be listened to at some point, some way. I think some of, some of the very people you're speaking with are, are going to be listening. Who knows? All I know is this. I could, and then I'll, I'll, I'll end our podcast with this. Every time I look at our metrics, uh, on our podcast, uh, they, they put forth this little visual that lets you see where the, uh, where the, the podcast is being listened to. And mm-hmm. this visual shows cities and towns and, and the you know, little lights light up like little dots all over it. And then when you, when you zoom in a little bit in the United States, uh, Columbus, Ohio, looks like it's being nuked. I mean, it's an absolute <laughs> glow. People are listening and I'm, 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 I'm not here to pull down Xenos. I'm not here to tear anybody down, but I'm here to help people see there's an alternative perspective. They need to know about this place. And, and Colin, thank you for coming on and helping us get just a little bit more of what that alternative perspective about Xenos actually is. Thank you so very, very much. Thank you, Raphael. I, I appreciate the time and effort that you put into making this podcast amazing in this interview very personal and I, I am very grateful that I was able to talk to you and to everybody about what's been going on absolutely it's been a pleasure and I'm sorry it took so long but I think sometimes the way uh, uh, what's to say uh, it's the waiting that uh, that makes everything happen uh, you know sometimes it's worth the wait thank you once again and we'll look forward to having you again once again on uh, and next week we're going to continue our discussions and uh, about Xenos and other places. And uh, and thank you once again for, for every one of you who've tuned in. We appreciate your, your support. Please tell other people about uh Spread the word. Tell your tell your tax collectors, your garbage collectors, to whoever. Uh, tell them, let them know about our, our podcast. And we look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and if necessary challenged in your daily journey through life jesus is coming you can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun the choice is yours you can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org and if you need urgent personal spiritual help email us at help at spiritwatch.org We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.